Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, it is uh, good to, uh, to to see you and be back uh, on the uh, podcast airwaves after it's been about three weeks since we've uploaded one, but you and I were together uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas for the 1517 Regional Conference with our uh, friend of the podcast, Chad Bird, and friend of the podcast, Gretchen Ronovic, and uh, had, a, had, a, had a good time and look forward to when 1517 uploads some of that uh, conference video to their site. We'll push that out when uh, in our show notes when that is up. But Absolutely. we after the busyness of being a dad and a husband and a pastor, um, we are uh, um, been a little slow uploading, but we are glad to be back and appreciate our listeners' patience as we've been going uh, through the Old Testament, helping people see uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. Before we do that, uh, Gage, tell everybody about the network of podcasts to which we are honored to belong. Absolutely. So we're part of the Society of Reformed Podcasts. So podcasts like Reformed Brotherhood and um, and others, uh, Distilling Theology, some, some great guys there. Um, a ton of podcasts you can actually find at reformedpodcasts, plural, uh, dot com, um, and they you can look up there. Or if anywhere you look at your podcast, if you just uh, search Society of Reform Podcasts, you'll actually get the RSS feed that will include all of the Society of Reform Podcasts, including uh, Assurance of Pardon. Uh, and you can you can check out those podcasts. There are lots of great variety from anything from from Bavink theology to um, what we do here at Assurance of Pardon to church planning. Uh, inf- information, all sorts of kind of variety of, of reform podcasts. We love those guys. We appreciate them greatly, and we're excited to be a part of the team. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Gage, we are going uh, through the Old Testament and seeing how we can see uh, Christ in the Old Testament, and we have made our way uh, quite a ways into the Old Testament, and we have found ourselves now at the book of First Chronicles. Uh, this is such a helpful uh, skill. I want to. I want to. Before we jump into First Chronicles, I want to tell our listeners one of the reasons that we're doing this is once you learn, once you learn the hermeneutic of seeing that and realizing and trusting and believing that the Old Testament is about Jesus, that the Old Testament is on every page is pointing us forward to the redeemer who is to come once you get that you can't unsee it and it yep. does it does change the way it changes the way you read the old testament and the beautiful thing is it turns old testament stories into the gospels it turns them into joy inflicting news it turns them into places where we can see 
Christ in shadow form, uh, in type and shadow. And so we think it's important that people learn how to do this. And so if if this series just sort of whets people's appetite and and turns them on to this way of understanding the Old Testament, which we think is how the New Testament teaches us to read the Old Testament, um, then we we are are going to consider our our job done. We're not going right. to we're not going to uncover every single place where Christ is seen, but we are going to expose you to this way of understanding the Old Testament. So, Gage, tell us what the Book of First Chronicles is about. Yeah, so First uh, Chronicles is actually a unique section in the Old Testament because it's a little bit of a lot of things. So it's a little bit of genealogy. In fact, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles are genealogy, right? So if you are in your Bible reading plan, and congratulations, you're actually still sticking with it in middle of May. I'm proud of you. Um, and if you've made it this far and you're in First Chronicles, this may be where your Bible study dies because you've got nine straight chapters of just names, right? So it's a little bit of genealogy like numbers, but it's also a little bit of history like its companions in first and second Kings, first and second Samuel, Judges, Joshua. And it's a little bit of a hybrid mix of the two. Um, and it's important that we, we understand kind of the context, right? We've talked about this before on the podcast. You understand the context of what you're reading uh, because the Jewish culture, uh, unlike Western culture, wasn't interested in chronological arguments, right? Like we in the West need, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened in, in chronological order, in historical sequence. This is how we process information as Westerners, right? Uh, our, our Jewish friends don't process it that way. And that's really, really important even when you read the gospel because you could get into the habit of reading the Gospels thinking like, and then this day happened, and then this day happened, and then this day happened. And it's actually just a series of events. But why that matters is you're going to see several things taking place in First and Second Chronicles that are somewhat out of order. Let me give you some examples. Um, you're going to deal with, again, the reign and deaths of David and Saul. Well, we've already seen the death of Saul in, in First Chronicles. Uh, in Second Samuel, you're going to deal with the reign and death of David. Well, you've already seen that in First and Second Kings, and it, and it's important to understand that you're going to see a hint in one of the genealogies towards Babylonian captivity. Well, that both um, hasn't happened yet in certain books and has already happened happened in other books. Uh, in the Hebrew order, actually, First and Second Chronicles ends the Old Testament. This is how the Old Testament is going to conclude. And so it's really helpful to understand kind of um, reading what we're going to get into today alongside your major and minor prophets to get a full picture of redemptive history and kind of understand what you're doing. So fun little commentary notes as we dig in, dig into the chapter. So the, as I mentioned before, there's nine chapters of a list of names. And the average Bible reader is going to go, what is the point, man? Like what? I, I, I barely follow ancestry DNA. I don't understand how we're going to deal with all these lists of names, but it's really, really important because what's happening here in these lists has Jesus all through it. And mm -hmm. it actually it actually has it um, because you, you want to remember they're building an argument with this list of names, right? They're actually the, the history of the kings and the families in, is given to us to validate who's on the throne. 
right? So they want to say, okay, they rightfully got here. Like, so, so think about um, the histories of the kings of England or the king of Scotland or, or things like that that we're maybe a little more familiar with in our history books. It's the same thing here that you're you're of the right bloodline, you're you're of the right right order, uh, and especially when it comes to David. Right, they're all roads are leading leading to David. All roads are validating that the king that is currently on the throne comes from the Davidic line, and we know that because look at this family line, look at this family history, and it's really really important because it also points to the authenticity of Jesus as Messiah. Uh, this, and we see this because if you look in in the first nine chapters, really even starting with chapter one of First Chronicles. The writer of, of, of First Chronicles, the assembler of the history, is going to make the argument from Adam to Abraham to David. Now, why does that matter? Where have we seen that before, Scott? Well, um, <clears throat> before I answer that, what I want to say is a, a helpful uh, a helpful rule when we're reading, especially in the Old Testament, that our, our buddy Chad Bird has given us. Uh, that uh, that uh, although it has some exceptions, very rare exceptions. Geneal Chad Bird says genealogies are for Jesus. Their purpose is for if all of if all of the Old Testament is building towards this promised Messiah, this one who is going to crush the head of the serpent, who is going to restore us back uh, um, back to uh, 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 the the new heavens and the new earth. If all of it is building towards that, then all of the genealogies are given for the purpose of authenticating and documenting that that we may know. That's right. That's right. So if you, as you look at this argument with Adam to Abraham to David, this sounds like Matthew, doesn't it, Scott? Like right. It's, it's, That's it right. Sounds, exactly right. Matthew's genealogy. Sounds, yeah, it sounds like Matthew 1. It also sounds like Luke's genealogy because Matthew starts... Abraham, David, Jesus, right? That's that's its order. Luke is going to start with Adam, Adam to, to Joseph, right? Uh, and so in all of this, though, it's important to understand that the even the gospel writers weren't doing anything new. They were simply arguing like their Old Testament fathers before them, right? So you know that John is going to pattern his prologue after the beginning of Genesis, you know that Luke is is making a historical argument. You know that Matthew uh, is arguing like a Jew, right? So he, that's why he starts with the genealogies, and that's why everything you see in Matthew is this was done to fulfill this, this was done to fulfill this, this was done to fulfill this. So understanding that context helps you understand first chronicles and helps you see jesus in first chronicles because what it's going to allow you to do is to understand that all of this is trying to help you understand that jesus is the one that checks all the boxes right he is from the family of david he's from the the tribe of judah he's part of the the kingly line he is the great prophet priest and king and it starts to check those boxes so you see that in chapters one to three adam abraham david and then you see chapter four, the descendants of Judah. Why does that matter? Well, if you remember from the end of Genesis, way back when, when we started this podcast, Scott, uh, one of the things that uh, Jacob actually is prophesying over his kids uh, is that from 
the tribe of Judah is going to come the scepter and the scepter is never going to leave. That's the, the place in which the, the king kingdom and the lines of the Kings are going to come. Well, that's why we include Judah as the first tribe in the rest of the tribes that are listed in all the genealogies there. You get to chapter eight and you're dealing with Saul's descendants. You get a quick note in chapter nine about the descendants of the exiles and how they had to go into exile because it says verse chapter nine, verse one, a breach of faith, right? So you, the idolatry, and that's why they go into captivity. You see the death of Saul and his sons in chapter 10. Why does that matter? Because you remember when we were way back in First, First Samuel, this contrast between a good a king after God's own heart, the, the one that God is choosing versus the one that's going to follow his own path. And, it, and it's not an emphasis on the holiness of David. David is not more holy than Saul. In fact, David is just as corrupt as Saul in, in many, many cases, whether it's Bathsheba, whether it's the census, whether it's, you know, uh, his wanting to destroy enemies or, or any of those things. But it's actually places more the emphasis on the divine plan of God, that God loves to choose the unlikely. God, he, he chooses Jacob, not Esau. He chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. He chooses David, not Saul. And so you see that same thing here, leading us into the anointing of David in chapter 11. And you see the anointing of David, the rise of the mighty men, and the Philistines defeated. Now, why that matters is every time you see Philistines defeated, you should think Goliath. Right? Goliath light bulbs should go off every time you see Philistines. And you should be, be reminded of all the things that we, we talked about in the battle between David and Goliath, about how you're not David, you're the you're the scared Israelites in the in the tent. Jesus is the true and better David, defeating our enemies for us, going before us, doing what we couldn't do for ourselves. Then you get into the glory and the presence of God in the ark in chapter 13. And you get kind of an interesting chap an interesting story with uh Uzzah. Uzzah's carrying the ark. It starts to slip because it's heavy. They get it back from the Philistines. They're excited. He tries to grab it so it doesn't fall to the ground, and he gets killed. And you think to yourself, is God, like, was he power tripping? Was he angry? What What is the deal here? It's actually a real important lesson for us to understand that that we're not less dirty than the ground. That's right. That's that's R.C. Sproul's quote is that he erred by thinking that his hand was less dirty than the ground. That's right. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And actually, you're not better than dirt. You're made from <laughs> dirt, right? And so that that's the important lesson there. And that leads us into um, all uh, of Presbyterians' favorite passages uh, the Davidic covenant in chapter 17. So you get to the Davidic covenant in chapter 17. You see that the reign of David began and David wants to build this house for God. And he's, that's actually going to carry us all the way through the end of first Chronicles, David's constant desire to try to assemble this house for Yahweh. And, um, in this exchange, he said, I'm going to build this house. And the Lord's like, no, you're not. As a matter of fact, your son's going to build the house. But also, I don't need this house. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is this house you're going to build for me? 
Like, I don't, I don't need a house. I'm not like other gods. These other gods are fake. They need these little houses. They're just statues. I am Yahweh. I, I sit upon the, the circle of the earth. I don't need your house. But let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, David. I'm actually going to build a house for you. And this house is going to be your descendants. And it's going to be forever. So we, we hone in on, on chapter 17, zoom in on verse 8, picking up here. Actually, back up to verse 7. Now, therefore, thus sh- shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep to being prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. There's that hint of the Abrahamic covenant even there, right? And violent men shall waste them, waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I have appointed judges over my people, I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Verse 11, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. Right? And so that's that's really, really important for a lot of reasons. One, you start to see in First Chronicles threads come together. You'll see a lot of the language overlap. A lot of what David is going to say or the prophets to David are going to say, the Lord to David or to Solomon or Solomon himself is going to say, is it's going to sound like Abraham. It's going to sound like Jacob. It's going to sound like Moses. It's going to sound like Joshua. And you start to see the overlap of the covenants, that, that the Bible is one story, that there is one thing happening, and it's crescendo is the life, death, and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ. And so you see even hints of this in this Davidic covenant, this promise or, or this agreement between two parties, the Lord and David, that you're not going to build a house for me. I'm actually going to be the one that's going to establish this house, and it's going to be forever. Now, here's the thing we know, Scott. Spoiler alert, David is going to die. Spoiler alert, Solomon is going to die. So what does he mean by, I'm going to establish your throne through one of your sons, and his reign is going to be forever? I love that you're giving me all the easy questions. Uh, it, it is, it's the, the joke about the Sunday school class where the teacher asks the little girl, what's brown and furry and lives in a tree and eats nuts? And the little girl says, it sounds like a squirrel, but I guess you're going to tell me it's Jesus. Um, <laughs> because in Sunday school, the right answer is almost always Jesus. That's right. And at our church, I'll get to your answer at our church uh, every every Sunday, I, we do a children's catechism lesson, yep. and one of our ruling elders sits in a little chair, and the kids sit at his feet, and he asks them catechism questions, and it's amazing how frequently when they don't know what the answer is that he's looking for, they'll just say, Jesus, or That's God, right. but what does it mean that I'm going to uh, establish uh, a, a son who will sit on your throne forever. Well, we really we figure out what that means when the angel appears to Mary, and what is it? What is it in Luke chapter 
in in uh, Luke chapter uh, one, Luke chapter two. What is it that the angel tells Mary when he appears to her uh, in uh, in Luke chapter one? Uh, here's what here's what the angel says to the angel. Answer to the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Well, let's actually we'll we'll zoom back up. This is Luke uh, chapter one, starting in verse thirty one. And behold, yep. you will conceive. Uh, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will mm. reign over the house of Jacob. For how long? Forever. Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, the That's only right. way you can have a king who is going to reign forever is if he's an, eter- an eternal king. If That's he's right. an, a king for whom death cannot stop him. Because what we see with David, what we see with Saul, what we see with Solomon, what we see with all of Israel's kings is that their kingdom, their reign had an end. It was finite. That's right. And so whatever this angel is telling Mary, he's telling her that this king that she's going to have is going to be an eternally reigning king because his father is going to be God. Right. And that's how he's going to be able to be an eternally reigning king. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And that obviously brings us to what is the Christmas card verse on every Christmas card, or it ought to be on every Christmas card, is Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And of the, and, and of the increase of his government, there will be no be end. No end. That's right. That's right. So there it is, uh, readers listeners podcast followers where where's jesus in first chronicles chapter 17 if you didn't if you didn't get the hints before that it's blaringly obvious in chapter 17 and the the beauty of that is through the rest of the chapter as 17 is kind of the marking point um you start to see post davidic covenant uh the establishment of david's reign reminding you of what messianic hope is going to look like under the reign of Jesus. And here's what you see. You see him uniting kingdoms. You see him bringing all the people under one administration. You see him uniting people. You see the the reign of his mighty men. You see him defeating all of his enemies, right? You've heard me quote the shorter catechism question about how does Jesus execute the office of a king by subduing us to himself and by defeating all his and our enemies. You see David doing that as a foreshadowing uh, to come of what Jesus is is going to do, right? That, That he is going to place all of his enemies under a seat that after resurrecting from the dead, and presenting himself to the ancient of days as one like the son of man whose reign will be forever he sits down at the right hand of majesty until that's what what we we find out in in corinthians corinthians right until all of his enemies have been made a footstool the last enemy of course being death um and so you see the the hint of that you you do see uh, a little bit because they are human the pride of David with the census in chapter 22. You see the, uh, the, the beginnings of Solomon coming to the forefront. And really chapter 22 to the end is, is going to be all about this, um, this census versus this temple building uh, versus the establishment of this, this house of worship. And the beauty here, though, is, is, the, is the hints that we see. Just a few more things that I want us to point out as we, we bring this to a close. 
chapter 28 and verse 7. So as David is giving a charge to the nation of Israel, verse 7, he says, I will establish his kingdom. This is actually uh, backing up to verse 6. This is David telling them what God said to him, right? And he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever. If he continues in strong, uh, strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today, and you, so you see the beginnings of um, the the reminder of the Davidic covenant in verse seven, right? He's just repeating what happened in chapter seventeen. But also, you see, I'm going to establish him in, in a land, and I'm going to be his God, and he's going to going to be my son. Right, I'm going to be his father. He's going to be my son. What's that sound like? That sounds like Abrahamic language, right? I'm going to be your God. You're going to be be my people. You also see that uh, if he goes on, if he observes and seeks all my commandments of the Lord, that it that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children. What's that about? That's the Noahic covenant. It's this covenant of creation and the flourishing that that Jesus is not only going to redeem his people from their sins, he's actually going to make creation right again, right? To use C.S. Lewis language, uh, we're never going to live in a time where it will always be winter and never Christmas, right? That that the the curse is going to be removed. And uh, he's not making all new things, but he is making all things new. And Mm -hmm. so you see even him of that but you also even see at some level this tension right the, solomon as long as you follow my commandments this is going to go well for you spoiler alert when we get to ecclesiastes that is the grump grumpy groanings of an old man realizing his failures <laughs> of being yeah. able to keep the commandments and going hey i was stupid here and i was stupid here and i was stupid here and this is vanity and this is meaningless right right so, why because there's going to need to become one that is the son of David that can do the thing that Solomon couldn't do, that could be wiser than Solomon, that could be a more excellent law keeper, and that's Jesus. Uh, and so you, you see the hints of that uh, in 7 and 8. You see the charge to Solomon, which, which almost has familiar language to the end of Deuteronomy with blessings and curses. If this goes well, you do this, this goes well for you. If you don't do this, this won't go well for you, right? It's this covenant of work, covenant of grace tension. Um, And then you see in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 28, David says to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. Do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites and all the service of the house of God and with all with are with you in all the work and will be ever willing man uh will will be ever willing man who has skill for every kind of service, also the officers and all the people who will be holy in your command. That sounds like jo- David doing his best Joshua impression, right? Right. Be, be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you wherever you go, right? Like that's that's that same sort of kind of similar language and hints and shadows there. And it leads us into the last chapter of First Chronicles. Uh, you see, really, as David is, is praying and offerings are being made to the temple and they're, they're celebrating the provision of the Lord and the establishment uh, of the the temple, you see in verses ten and eleven, David's prayer. 
And I want you to to hear the prayer, and then I want you to think about what this this reminds us of. Verse 10, chapter 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted uh, above all heavens, and then he then he goes on, and he he said he th- says, when I think about these people and what you've done for us, and the fact that you would even allow us to to build this temple, it's got hints in chapter twenty nine of Psalm eight, right? Right. Uh, so let's flip there very quickly. Psalm eight, similar language here. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. That's literally what he just prayed, right? Uh, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foe, because of your foes, you and you still the enemy, the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Uh, you see that, that same... Uh, language in verse 14 of chapter 9 but who am i and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your your own uh have we given you why does that matter and how does that get us to jesus well it's the writer of hebrews in chapter 2 that quotes psalm 8 and says hey the the one that he is mindful of is Jesus, who's the son of the son of man that you're mindful of, and the the one that you care for. That's Jesus, right? And and so you see this connection from David to Jesus, from First Chronicles to Psalm eight, from Psalm eight to Hebrews two. Again, this this thread of redemptive history pointing us again and again to Jesus. One funny note as we close that I, that I kind of laughed at a little bit. Um, at the end of First Chronicles verse 22 the back half when they anoint solomon it says and they made made solomon the son of david the king the second time and they anointed him as a as a prince over the lord why do they have to put that note they anointed him a second time well if you remember that whole banter between um his older brother and solomon and who's going to be king and david david's old and and doesn't really recall anything and Bathsheba's trying to kind of manipulate the situation. It's just funny that the, the writer has to go and they anointed David a second right. time. Like, this is the actual inaugural party. This is the actual <clears throat> coronation. This was actually doing things right. So we hope that that was helpful. So yeah. I, I'll throw in another before we, before we wrap up, I'll throw another little uh, nerdy Bible trivia. Right. If you've ever been, if you've ever been reading your, uh, your new Testament and you read the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six, you read it and you, you, you realize that although we always, when we pray in church, we say for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then maybe you're reading in your ESV or your NIV or That's your right. modern translation. And you realize Hey, that clause, that last clause, that's right. It ain't in there. What what what's what gives? Why are we saying this phrase that is not in there? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
And then you look over, maybe you talk to your King James buddy, your King James only buddy, and (laughs) they say, oh yeah, they're taking verses out of the Bible. Uh, And you even recognize it because you you pray for that as the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, even though it's not in your modern translation. That's exactly. I do do it every week with the the children's sermon. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, uh, what, what, what gives? Why is it not in all the other? Why is it in the King James Bible, but it's not in all of the others? And if it's not in all of the others, why do we still say it? Why does everybody? Why have we not rejected? Well, and the answer is, is since is the King James translators used the best manuscripts that were available to them at the time. Since then, we have found better manuscripts. That's right. And what we have found is that that clause for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Matthew, uh, that's in the that's tagged on to the end of Matthew chapter six, uh, uh, verse uh, um, uh, verse ten. Yep. That clause is 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 not in the in the the better older manuscripts. However, we still pray it because if if our listeners are have the Book of First Chronicles there, we recognize that uh, we recognize that that clause is actually a a a, a paraphrase of First Chronicles chapter. 29 verse 11 yours O lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is yours yours is the kingdom O lord and you are exalted as head above all all of those kingdom and power and glory forever all those those clauses those descriptors are 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 drawn from first chronicles 29 uh verses uh verses 10 and 11 and so we can say it, it seems as though that was a, an early church uh, thing that got added in there uh and there's nothing wrong with praying it but that that's where we that's why we've kept it in there it's not it's not added in in a in a way like if it says with liberty and justice for all amen <laughs> uh, uh, you know god bless america uh, it's not right. that sort of addition so anyway, just a little oh, bit that, of a, that's awesome. A, a, yeah, uh, a little well, bit of, of trivia. You mentioned uh, the children's sermon, uh, so y'all do children's catechism. Billy normally does that. Um, do. But uh, we, so we do. I borrowed this straight from from Kevin Hale at Christ Church Conway. But we do a coloring sheet uh, for our kids that, that's relevant to the sermon, and we always give them four words to pay attention to to help them kind of make a mark and follow along as they're listening to the sermon. And my kids now that we've been doing this for over a year and a half, uh, they know the last word's always going to be Jesus. Um, but because as I tell them on a regular basis, if you didn't hear Jesus in the sermon, you heard a Ted talk boy, boys and girls. Uh, so we hope the same thing is true here that as we're going through, uh, each book in the old Testament, that eventually you hear us yell Jesus, right? That we, we see Jesus, uh, in every book. Otherwise it's a Ted talk. So, uh, we hope this was helpful. Uh, as always, uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at contact at assurance of pardon. Uh, or on our website at shirtsdepartment.com or uh, you can hit hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, this is Assurance Department. God bless.